this is why our work, it's like Roe v. Wade was so evil that now that it's removed, the true pro-life work can begin. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Bulletin, the official podcast of St. Anthony of Padua. My name is Nate Hoffman. I am the Communications and Development Coordinator here at St. Anthony's. And today I am joined by our very own Evangelist to the Stars, Michael Gormley. <laughs> ah, the stars, just meaning those orbs of light in the sky, not anyone famous. Yeah, what are those things? Yeah, I don't know. Some say they're the dead kings of the past who watch down over us. Oh my gosh, that's if only science could give us a different answer. Ah, uh, balls of gas burning billions of miles away. You ever seen Lion King? Yeah. You ever seen Lion King? That's of course. It. That's from Lion King. Oh, Pumbaa, to you everything is gas. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I haven't seen... All right, I need to have more kids to start to see uh, Lion King more recently because it's been a while. Uh, oh, yeah. So, uh, Mike, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? You doing right. well? You know, I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. VBS, Vacation Bible School, is done. Uh, we have... like I feel like we have more volunteers than we do uh, actual kids participating because it's such an epic event. But... Um, yeah, they made they made it all look so effortless and easy, but there was so much hard work behind the scenes. And Sammy, this was her first year leading uh, the Kingdom Builders program. She's a middle school youth minister, so the middle school version, the fifth and sixth grade version of VBS happens upstairs in the youth room. It's called Kingdom Builders. My wife helped out. I helped out. But Sammy uh, took the ball and ran with it, and it was awesome. It went really well. Our new seminarians who are staying here with us, uh, Father Jesse's overseeing their spiritual direction. They were incredible. We had them assigned Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and they just – it was awesome. My, my daughters, they know all five of the guys' names, even though they were only with them for like an hour and a half. They just went and did everything, jumped right in. It was awesome. And then the funny thing was Sammy couldn't be there for the Friday of Kingdom Builders because she had to hop on a bus at 10 a.m. Oh, with, wow. with the rest of youth ministry and go to uh, – Steubenville, right? Go to Steubenville Lone Star, yeah, the big the big Steubenville Youth Conference. And uh, I briefly talked to PJ, our high school youth minister, about how did it go, and he was like, it was incredible. We didn't have one problem, and I'm like, oh, thank God. He said, we didn't have one problem, one incident, and the kids were just on fire. They were on fire. And then he said, and this guy who was the host – he did a really good job. He was so funny. I was like, what's his name? Bob Levznevsky. So he's a buddy of my name. The Righteous Bee. So, uh, yeah, he's great. Bob, does he, is he an author? Does he write stuff? No. no Not no, that no. guy? Not okay. that Bob. Well, you I've, might be thinking of Bob Rice, who I will, he will be the host of the Studentville Conference that I'm doing in, in a week. I'm thinking of, yeah, probably that guy. He does a lot of writing. I've he's heard great guy. things about the Studentville Conference, about VBS. I was just kind of witness the chaos around VBS yeah. with the peop- the drop-offs and the in the pickups and everything and there's hundreds of kids and then hundreds <laughs> of volunteers and look it looked it's, amazing. It's it's crazy. And one of the things that we did, one of the things that we did, this is going to be affecting our church more and more as time goes on. Many people might be aware of the Eucharistic revival, the USCCB being shocked repeatedly by every Pew research thing that comes out. Saw that the last stat was the worst of all time, which is that people who go to mass regularly it's like only like 32 percent actually believe in the real presence of jesus in the eucharist and so they're calling for a eucharistic revival archbishop cousins is kind of taking the lead on that so starting um a couple weeks ago when we did the feast of corpus christi that was the diocesan It, it launched a year of diocesan campaigns of eucharistic revival and then next year it'll be parish and then at the end of that year we'll have a national eucharistic congress which will be cool but um I'm not waiting. 
a year. So what we're doing is we're identifying areas in faith formation that's incomplete from previous years that we can beef up and support and build up, um, doing more with families and all this stuff. So one of the things I said was, you know, people just need to be trained on how to receive the Eucharist post COVID because the masks really ruined us. So I had the kingdom builders and we were doing a whole thing on the gestures of the liturgy. And it was like, okay, well, how do we receive communion? So the seminaries helped me. We got a bunch of uh, unconsecrated altar bread and I showed them how to receive on the tongue because kids, a lot of kids have never received on the tongue before. A lot of adults haven't. They don't know that one, that's the universal norm. Two, the hand, receiving in the hand is allowed, but it's not the norm, right? So we have permission called an indult. But, uh, so you're totally allowed to do it. But if your hands are dirty, you are never, ever, ever in a million years allowed to receive on your hands. Mm. Putting the Eucharist in dirty hands is n unacceptable, right? But people don't know what to do because we never taught them how to receive on the tongue. So I taught all the kids how to receive on the tongue, and then we did it. We, we practiced it and all that. And then we've been practicing that in First Holy Communion for the last two years. But this was really like a newfound emphasis where it's like, yeah, we just we can't expect our people to do things that we've never modeled nor told. And so that's a new thing that we're really doubling down on. But that's not why we're here. That's not why we're here. That's uh, all great info. But we're here because uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned earlier this week or, or maybe uh, late last week. Um, and we're here to talk about all of that, all the implications. Where yeah. does What does this mean for the pro-life movement going forward, for the church, for you as a pro-life person? You know, What do you do now that uh, yeah. Roe v. Wade has been overturned? So a uh, context Everyone knows this Roe v. Wade uh, decision from 1973. Yeah, I guess I thought my maybe it was late 80s or something, but 73. It's been around for 49 years, quite a while. 49 years of legalized uh, uh, of of the legalized killing of the unborn in the wombs of their mothers. The place that ought to be the most sacred, loving, and protected place. We know we live in a fallen world, and not everyone has the perfect ideal situation when it comes to procreation, right? Some people don't want to be pregnant, find themselves pregnant. And it's a scary situation, right? A lot of anxiety. Being a mother should be a blessed event, becoming a mother. There's so many women who desperately would want to be mothers. And so for us to, um, for us as a culture to say yes, we wish to uh, depersonalize the unborn um, from a federal uh, place all the way down to, to forbid states from kind of going through this themselves. Um, it, it has been a, a deep and dark shadow over the last several generations. You know, in, uh, how old are you, Nate? How old are you? 29. 29. Late okay. 20s, I often say. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Wait, 20. Uh, mid to late 20s. Uh, so my wife is a couple years older than me. She technically belongs to Gen X. I belong to the millennials, according to one graphing, 82 and after or 81 and after. Um, so they say that people who are Gen Xers, uh, one out of every three Gen Xers are not here because of abortion. So if you oh, have wow. three people, take out the middle person. That That's how many babies have been aborted. It decreased a little bit. Um, the rise of the religious right, more active Catholic campaigning, all this stuff. Um, reduce that to one out of every four for millennials and for your generation. But then also we have the rise of RU486, the abortion pill, the morning after pill, so-called, um, that removes some, that obscures some of those numbers, right? So we don't harder necessarily to track know. That yeah, yeah much harder. So for us, um, we can say the w one out of every four to one out of every three babies uh, have been unjustly ended, their lives have been unjustly ended. But um, yeah, we today's a new day. 49 years, as the USCCB says, killing tens of millions of children. Uh, we now have a, 
a new day. It is a new day, and it, and let's talk about what the overturning of Roe v. Wade actually means. Yes, the Dobbs uh, decision. Uh, the Dobbs decision. Yeah. So, um, uh, there, Mikey handed me a sheet here. There are I four did. things, um, maybe misconceptions that we can go through really quickly uh, to talk about. You know what this means, what this doesn't mean. Number one, you have here that the Supreme Court just made abortion illegal. That's not that's not what happened in the Dobbs case. What actually happened in the yeah. Dobbs case? We live in a culture that is very um, it's, uh, has what we call judicial activism, and usually that's a, uh, a a slur thrown at the left from the right because many laws in America that were rightly passed by a legislator gets essentially overturned or re-legislated through the judiciary. The purpose of the judiciary is to interpret, not create law. Okay, that's the most important thing in our Constitution. The judiciary checks the legislator. Remember the old checks and balances thing? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, By interpreting the laws, the executive branch does not get to interpret. They only get to enforce. They execute the laws, right? So what happened in the Dobbs decision was the, the Roe v. Wade was essentially overturned because it said that it is bad law, that there is no constitutional right or safeguards for abortion. So what Roe did, and its companion case, Dovey Bolton, and then Planned Parenthood versus Casey, and all these other uh, laws that were pro-choice, what they essentially did was they framed abortion as a part of the U.S. Constitution. A right that was always there from yeah, the beginning. Yeah, a right that belongs constitutionally. And it's funny because you have people, I don't know if you remember any of the new um, Supreme Court nominees that are now justices from the Trump era, but the number one question that is always asked is, are you going to overturn Roe v. Wade? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? And the interesting thing is, the reason why they say that is it always comes down to this understanding of uh, stare decisis, which is essentially like these decisions of precedent stand because of the laws of our country, and you interpret within the precedents. But people who want to enforce that about Roe v. Wade, those who are pro-abortion, the, the, the Roe v. Wade was terrible law. It was unprecedented. It went against all the previous precedent. In fact, all the dissenting opinions um, on in the actual Roe v. Wade case, which you can read, and, and they're actually really well written, uh, saying, like, even if you think this is, even if you're pro-abortion, this is absolutely the wrong way to do it because all of the stare decisis that comes through is the precedent is pro-life. Like, you leave it to the states. So what the Supreme Court did they did not outlaw abortion. Okay, so what Catholics want, honestly, is we want a decision to say that the protection of unborn life is enshrined in the Constitution, right? The right to life. So that's what we want, right? But what this just said was the Constitution does not protect abortion rights. That's left to the state. So, so now it's kicked out to the state. But so is it correct that states like Texas or California can then make laws and say abortion is yes. outlawed at week four, eight, week six, or week 20, yeah. and it would be fully yeah. legal in, in California probably mm-hmm. longer. Texas, it yeah. sounds like it's... Yeah, it's California and New York have already enacted laws to enshrine Roe v. Wade's decision in their own state constitutions or their state legislations. Texas, Florida, and other, you know, kind of uh, banger conservative uh, states had trigger laws. Have you ever heard of that? I've never heard of that until now. Well, just in, just in light of this, meaning yeah. that as soon as this went into effect... Yeah. If Roe v. Wade is ever overturned, yeah. then boom, 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 boom. So here's the crazy thing. In the state of Texas since Friday, we have not murdered a single child in the womb. 
That's probably the first time in many years. That's the first. 49 years. Roe v. Wade was a Texas case. It went to the Texas Supreme Court, then the U.S. Supreme Court. And here's the beautiful news. Roe from Roe v. Wade, Doe from Doe v. Bolton, they're Catholic. They are pro-life. I don't know if they're – actually, I don't know if uh, the woman who's Jane Roe, whose name's escaping me right now, but um, I don't know if she's still alive. I think she she passed. Yeah. She was – she converted. She became pro-life, and she tried to undo her legacy. And if – because, you know, one of the dangerous things for a pro-abortion person to do is to talk – to women who are suffering from being post-abortive. And the beautiful thing in the Catholic Church is there's a propaganda lie that's out there that Christians or Catholics or pro-life people, they only care about the pre-born baby, right? But Not after they're born. Yeah, and after they're born, oh, you know, you're against welfare, you're against all this stuff. And it's like, that's silly. I don't have to support your political entitlement programs in order to be pro-family, pro-woman, pro-child. And that's all pure obfuscation because what that person does is they're, they're ignoring the Gabriel Project, Rachel Project. They're ignoring um, all of the pro, post-abortion counseling services that Catholics offer, just Catholics. Not to mention, you know, my cousin ran a pro-life house for teenage girls who were kicked out of their homes, a life house, right? And they, li- and they didn't just teach them or didn't just care for them while they were pregnant. They taught them life skills, got them jobs, uh, got them college education, got their GEDs, all that stuff. But then they cared for these women and their babies in the home. So right. and that's, hundreds hundreds and thousands of places like that. Uh, yeah, exactly. And that's not even to mention the um, Catholic pro-life, pro-family agencies like St. Vincent de Paul, St. Anthony's Bread that aren't necessarily strictly post-abortion or uh, young child, but yeah. they still support families and they yeah. encourage, they do the things that these welfare programs from the government are trying to do, but they do it from a, a donation or a church standpoint. So yeah, that, don't believe the lie that the church is, is only pro-birth. And Pro-pre-born human. Pre-born. That, is ab- that is a lie from the devil. There are more Truly. of our parishioners that are sitting on the Montgomery County Women's Shelter there are more of our parishioners that do Montgomery County Food Bank, St. Anthony's Bread, St. Vincent de Paul, who pays bills of people in crisis. Like, that's what we do. Catholic charities, that's what they do. Adoption agencies, foster care. If you're a Catholic and you haven't been able to have children, do what my buddy did, and they uh, they foster they foster kids, and it's beautiful. I said, how do you do that? How do you give back a baby that you raised to the birth mother? They'd had twin infants, and they gave back the babies a couple weeks ago. To, and I said, how do, you, how do you do that? That would break my heart. And he said, it was hard, but this is what we realized. We just saved their lives, and we saved the mother's life. That mother, was she could not have done it, so we mm-hmm. saved their lives. And he said, but at the same time, we got to be something beautiful in the lives of these kids that, that those kids will never forget, and neither will the mother. And we're friends with the mother now. That's amazing. That's all. Awesome. That's what it means to be pro-life. Yeah. It doesn't mean here, like, this is how Pope John Paul defined the culture of death. When we use death as just another legitimate option among many. Yeah, you could, you could have your child up for adoption. You could abort your child. You could, you know, have the baby. Yeah, you could do whatever. Yeah, you're chronically ill. Yeah, you could get treatment. You can go get help from some, you know, government agency to pay for your medicine. You could kill yourself. Like, yeah, we want... See, that's the thing, because once it becomes one option among many, it then becomes legitimate. And the word legitimate, the root word, uh, is law, right? Once we make something le- legal, we make it legitimate in the eyes of people. That's the deformative character of the culture of death. Let's talk about this next point that 
that's on your sheet here. This is, again, something that the, this decision did not do. The Supreme Court will next ban contraception, same-sex marriages, and interracial marriages. That's, a, that's something that's been floating around, but this is not the case. This is not necessarily what's going to happen next. Yeah, people need to realize that... Um just because so the the big thing like Seth Meyers talked about this is the corrupt Republican Party with their corrupt uh, Supreme Court nominees uh, yeah I mean that it, these things are said to fit a narrative and the narrative is simply this we don't like that this law which is important to us was overturned therefore sensationalism this in particular has nothing to do with any of the other cases and if any other cases are overturned it's because they're bad law. Again, this did not, the Supreme Court did not enshrine the right to life of unborn. It just said the Supreme Court does not see a constitutional right to abortion that overrules states. So individual states like Texas, like Florida, can be pro-life in their legislation. Individual states like California and New York can be pro-death in their legislation. That in the Supreme Court is not going to interfere in that, right? That's a fundamental uh, distinction here. Yeah, that's fascinating. So in the case that they are bad law, they might be overturned, but uh, essentially a new law would just uh, come into place, uh, it sounds like. So um, bad laws get overturned, uh, good laws stay in in place. Uh, Next up, the Dobbs decision is invalid because justices like Brett Kavanaugh lied under oath Mm. about about doing it. So uh, that's been thrown around a lot. Uh, All of the justices who have been appointed in the last five years have been asked under oath about this case. I've seen a few of the videos. Um, I'm not really a legal scholar. I, I, and I, I would think that these justices are, I don't know, they said the right things to avoid perjury or something like that. But w- what's your take on this? Yeah, well, I mean, it's simple. Um, and Catholic Answers has a handful of really great articles on this that they never said under oath, I promise never to overturn Roe v. Wade. I think all of the justices, especially the Catholic ones who ended up like um, Justice Amy, she, you know, who notoriously was said of her by Dianne Feinstein, the dogma is loud within you when she was becoming a federal judge. And it's like, good Lord, how how blatantly anti-religious can someone be? But uh, in order to overthrow them. So Judge Amy. uh, Amy Barrett Cohen. Yes. A hero, first of all. I mean, yeah. <laughs> incredible human being. She raised like six kids, if adopted one or two. If she was pro-choice, oh, yeah, she, she would be, be the most... She, no one would even know who Ruth Bader Ginsburg is. Yeah, she, it would all be her. No, yeah. just because she's pro-life and, and um, you know, religious, I don't think she's Catholic. Um, yeah, she's Catholic. She's Catholic. Yeah, she was at Notre Dame, all that stuff, yeah. A hero. What a yeah. woman. What a uh, what a career. What, what a career. What an abs... And her... Here's the funny thing. When you actually go through her scholarship... So when, you know, her, the original federal hearings, when that, uh, hearings, when that um, statement came out, a buddy of mine was uh, is a lawyer, and so he would send me some of her stuff from Law Review, right? Notre Dame Law Review is one of the most difficult to have an article published, one of the most prestigious law reviews. You know, it's basically Ivy League level. And uh, for her, that I, I want to say that she ran it, um, you know, when she was a student there uh, getting her JD, but her articles are incredible, incredible. Um, and so, number one, none of the justices, Kavanaugh, never said, I will never, I promise to not overturn Roe v. Wade. What they did say is, I will uphold stare decisis. And that's that's the controversial thing. Now, everyone should be happy that the legal, upholding legal precedent sometimes gets overturned. 
Um, we should all be happy about that. Like Brown v. Board of Education overturned racial segregation in the United States, which was like a uh, a case that happened, you know, twenty years earlier. It overturned a Supreme Court decision. So, meaning those cases had precedent, yeah. uh, in other cases, and then yeah. they were still overturned. So the decisions, the decisions, the decisions establish precedents, mm-hmm. right? And they are used to guide later decisions, right? And so you have this understanding. Now, obviously, people who are legal experts are probably screaming at their podcast speakers right now, uh, however you listen, because you know you can obviously tell us a lot better. But just for the argument's sake, it establishes precedent. Once precedent is established in the common law tradition, you follow precedent. So then the thing becomes, how can you overturn bad law? But then the principle has to be, well, how do you navigate what is good law and bad law? And if you have bad law, like... Uh, laws enforcing racial segregation, how do you overturn that? Oh, well, I, I guess we're locked into a, a hopeless, uh, vulgar conservatism where everything that went before must be doubled down on after. No, you have Supreme Court cases where even two years later, even most of the same Supreme Court justices overturn their own decisions. Hmm. So th- that's a part of, that's the living part of the living constitution. Very good. All right, so moving on to this last point, um, it's about... What exactly was, uh, or not outlawed, but w- what yeah. types of abortion will be done in hospitals? So women yeah. will die because hospitals won't commit abortions, even uh, to necessary to save the woman. Um, people who work in hospitals know that there are multiple types of abortion. Any time a pregnancy yeah. ends, it's called an abortion, even yeah. if it's you know, stillbirth, natural, natural all yeah. that time. It's all termed abortion. So there has been some mis- miscommunication. There are people posting, like, I, I was saved because I had an ectopic pregnancy and I, I got an abortion or or um, someone who I saw a post that someone had a you know tragically had a, a miscarriage and the doctor it was called an abortion that's what she understood it as but it's not the same thing it's it's not a, a live birth or um, anything like that so can you shed some light on on some of that I mean obviously yeah we're only talking about one specific thing yeah. here right yeah I'm I'm really ticked off at yeah. this this stuff uh, I'm really ticked off because this personally affects my life and my family's life because we had an ectopic pregnancy that almost killed my wife. And this was less than a year ago. We were in the hospital with an impossible decision to make. And the crazy thing was the doctor, who was a high-risk doctor, giving us a second opinion, he said, I've already booked the surgery room. Uh, you're not even allowed to go home because you will die on the way home. That's how crazy this was. So an ectopic pregnancy is when the fetus implants anywhere that is not the healthy uterine tissue so it can most commonly it's in the fallopian tube uh, fallopian tubes are the few human hairs thick so obviously a baby by the about the age of six or eight weeks is too big for the the tubal rupture will cause severe pain hemorrhaging um, but for uh, this particular case it was in the c-section scar tissue so it could rupture people don't realize this but the thickness of the uterine wall I mean, it's so masterfully designed. Human embryology is incredible. But the uterine wall is the thickness of like the an, an eraser on the tip of a pencil, right? So you just think about a normal eraser of a number two pencil. Um, scar tissue is as thin as a piece of paper, right? So if a baby implants there, it's not going to survive. The baby will not live. So in Catholic hospitals, people don't know the St. Luke's right here is part of the Catholic hospital something, C-H-I. Um, I think they just merge with yet another group. <laughs> They're always merging in, in order to stay profitable because they don't do things like abortion, sterilization, um, gender reassignment surgeries. These are all things that are governed by Catholic bishops, governed by this stuff. 
So they don't do abortions, but they will operate on ectopic pregnancies. Now, what's the difference? Um, it is not an abortion in the fact of an unjust killing of an innocent human life. The, basically, the moral principles that govern whether or not women's, if women's lives are in jeopardy due to the bad placement of the embryo, right, the fetus, um, the unborn child, what we need to do is you are allowed, according to the principle of double effect or side effect, um, two different terms, to actually evaluate whether or not you can help the mother, save the mother's life. Now, this is the principle, so you got to use language very carefully, right? This is where it becomes precise. An abortion understood as what we're talking about that was removed by the Dobbs decision is the unjust taking of an innocent human life, what we call homicide. Uh, when we talk about an ectopic pregnancy, we mean that the circumstances as such has created a life-threatening situation. So what we want to do is remedy the circumstances, okay? Now the side effect or the double effect of that remedy, we are not here seeking to kill the life of the child, right? So if you have a baby in a fallopian tube, the goal isn't to kill the baby, abort the baby. The goal is you remove the fallopian tube. And in removing it, you can cause damage to the baby or the loss of life. So then you have to say is in the principle of double effect, you can't kill an innocent human being to save the life unless it's an equal good, right? So if the mother's life is not in jeopardy, you don't have the right to kill a baby's life. If the mother's life is in jeopardy, you have the right to remedy the circumstances, right? And as a side effect of those circumstances, so the abortion is not directly willed, that life might end, right? That life might end. Now, in cases of women, um, when the fallopian tube ruptures, it's almost already too late because if you think of pregnancy, right, all the nutrition and life of that baby is through the mother, through the umbilical cord, through the blood. So it is a uh, part of the human body and uh, all the fasting stuff that is susceptible to a lot of bleeding. Mm. Meaning, if it ruptures, you bleed very hard, very quickly, and you can die. And so they said that if you feel a rupture, you go right to the emergency room, a clock is ticking from like nine minutes down, and you just run and say, I just had an ectopic pregnancy, it ruptured, and they have to take you right then and there to the emergency room. So long story short, I had a Catholic doctor at the... Shout out, shout out to Dr. Jamelka from the um, Caritas Women's Healthcare. It's a devout Roman Catholic thing. They don't sterilize women. They don't use contraception. They don't do abortions. And we had two uh, priests, who uh, one of which was trained in moral theology, and we literally went through together, the four of us, the principles of the double effect and whether or not this applied. So let me just run through those principles real quick. An action must be either morally good or neutral, Okay. Uh, the bad effect must not be the means by which the good effect is achieved. So Something the, bad can't happen so that a good thing yeah, will happen. Yeah, you're never permitted to do evil so that good may come. Yes. But if all your options are evils, you are obliged to choose the lesser of two evil, right? So three, the intention must be of achieving only the good effect. The bad effect can in no way be intended. And the good effect must be at least equivalent in proportion to the bad effect. An ectopic pregnancy, and this is coming from Catholic Answers. I love that website. They were so ready for this decision. Um, when it's planted in a location that cannot vi be viable for the baby, so the baby is going to die, and it is threatening the life of the mother. This isn't a potential thing. The mother will die if the uterus or the fallopian tube ruptures. So um, the Catholic Church has weighed in on these and says the removal of, say, in particular, the fallopian tube or the, the scar tissue is considered in accordance with the principle of double effect. Number one, removing a part of the body that is about to rupture in the cause of the death of the individual is morally neutral. 
right? So it's it's morally good, morally neutral. Like if you have a diseased limb, you got to remove the limb. It stinks that you're going to lose a limb, but it's worse if that limb kills you, right? The death of the child is not the direct intention of the procedure, okay? The direct intention is the removal of the diseased thing, you know, in this case being the fallopian tube or whatever, and it indirectly causes the death of the child. Three, the death of the child is not willed and would be avoided if at all possible, for example, if you can re-implant. I mean, we would have done that in a heartbeat. For sure. Yeah. And then finally, uh, the life of the mother. So we're talking about this is the proportion. The life of the mother is, of course, equal to the life of the child. It is, Mother Teresa said so beautifully, it is a poverty that a child should die so that you may live as you wish. And when we think about that, enshrining that for 49 years, instead of saying, no, I have to heroically sacrifice myself so that I can bring this child to term. Like, that's, that's epic. Right, that's the type of nobility that we need to support as a community. This is why our work—it's like uh, Roe v. Wade was so evil that now that it's removed, the true pro-life work can begin. Exactly, and that—that that, that is what I want to talk about next because Roe v. Roe v. Wade is done, um, and we still have work to do. We have a lot of work to do as, as a pro-life movement and I, I let's start here my wife is is i'm married i don't know if you've i've said that on the show before but she's pregnant 22 weeks oh um, hey isn't that, isn't that amazing i don't think i knew that did i know that yeah i think you did i uh, think i did yeah, that's all right, oh right. gosh i'm such a bad friend um but it's you know she's had her you know first trimester extended the, the, the nausea is extended it's difficult yeah. to be pregnant it's oh, not it an easy hard. thing it is hard yeah uh, and what we've learned from it and she's learned from it is that it, it, we've grown a heart for single mothers, for folks who are doing this on their own. Yeah, and I think that type of thing is what we have to keep in mind when we're when we're communicating like the pro life cause is yeah. that these are usually young women, and who are usually by themselves with little to no good options. Yeah, pregnancy is hard enough for married families in a stable situation. Yep. Yeah, one of my favorite things, uh, Father Father Spitzer. Uh, Robert Spitzer, brilliant um, physicist, ran Gonzaga University for years, a brilliant mind. He wrote a book called Healing the Culture. And he said, if we are unempathetic towards a woman who is pregnant, and he said, you got to think like pregnancy is natural to a woman, right? Being a mother is natural to a woman. It's an internal thing. You know, it should be celebrated with joy, all this stuff. For the fear, anxiety, and stress and distress to be so much that she would choose an abortion to end that, like, he's like, that it overrides even the natural goods of pregnancy and the delight of being a mother and maternity. He said, if we act unsympathetic towards that, we are absolutely failing in our ministry to these women, right? Right. I mean, you can think of it as someone on the top story of a burning building, and they felt that their only two options were to stay in the building or jump. You know, yeah. that that's, that's, that's the level of think, distress. Think of how difficult that decision would be, and then think you're 16 years old and you have you feel like you have no choices. You know, part of that is that we need to communicate that there are choices, that there are options, that there are there is yeah. help available. We have a list of resources here. We're going to be blasting that out over social media, flock note, that yeah. type of thing going forward, because the church and so many other organizations are here to help these yeah. women specifically. They exist for no other reason but to help these women make these choices and to be there for them during the pregnancy, uh, after the pregnancy, as the children is raised, uh, the children are raised or are born. Um, so let's talk about that. How do we lead with love uh, in these conversations, and how do we become a pro-life people 
um, or, or continue to be a pro-life people after Roe yeah. v. Wade. Yeah. So number one, um, I want to read a little bit from the Cardinal's statement where he talks about um, we welcome this decision. It's a positive step towards creating a life affirming society. And it is a necessary step. This is a great line that he said. Abortion is too often viewed as a positive good and a practice necessary to ensure women's liberty. So what he wants us to understand is, OK, guys, tensions are high. Violence is high. Churches have already been vandalized and, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. When the Dobbs decision was leaked, if you go on the archdiocesan, uh, archgh.org, if you go on their press release thing, they even have a whole statement that they release about the leak and how dangerous that leak was. Mm. It, I mean, we've doubled security. We've locked the doors at noon just to make sure that the Blessed Sacrament doesn't get destroyed or anything else. Um, so we know that this is a time of heightened violence and tension. So what we need to do, as the USCCB says, is we need to be smart and prudent about our words, and we need to work together peacefully, peacefully. This is just the beginning. So they said... Now is the time to begin the work of building a post-Roe America. It is a time for healing wounds and repairing social divisions. It is a time for reasoned reflection and civil dialogue. So what we don't want to do is be smug and self-righteous and neener, neener, neener. We don't want to do this on our social media posts at all. We don't want to do this as a church, as a parish. But this is not something that we ought to be like, no, I'm sad that Roe v. Wade was, you know, it's like, no, this is a wonderful, positive, welcomed step. But now we begin the pro-life work. So for instance, um, you actually went through and cultivated a handful of these uh, here on the list. So uh, can we go through some of these? Let's go through them. Yeah. I like this. So pro-life resources. Um, Pack North. We have always supported the Pregnancy Assistance Center North. Um, we, you know, do the baby bottle things. We do all sorts of stuff. There's a new one called the Loving Choice. Yep. Another pregnancy assistance center. I yes, think. that is. I believe that's explicitly Catholic, like it's run by Catholics, whereas Pack North is not. It's a not, you know, whatever. Both of these organizations, fantastic to, uh, if you don't know how else to help, they, they yep. are accepting donations and, and that their full time job is to welcome mothers, mm -hmm. uh, new mothers who don't know what to do, yep. uh, and they could use all the resources they can get. So find, find, uh, search these, PACN or Loving Choice. You can, you can donate to them online. Yeah. So for mothers who find themselves in a crisis situation with their pregnancy, uh, we got Project Gabriel. Yep. Project Gabriel assists mothers in healthcare, in uh, neonatal care, all that stuff. Um, and then the other uh, kind of opposite end of that spectrum is Project Rachel. Um, both of these, obviously, Project Gabriel comes from the Archangel Gabriel, who announces the birth of Christ to Mary, and upon her, yes, uh, she conceives Christ in the womb. So that's awesome. Project Rachel is, uh, you know, Jesus says, uh, talks about the lamentations of Rachel who cry for her children, but her children are no more. Um, that's to help women impose the board of counseling, mm -hmm. right? And guys, seriously, pro I've been a part of pro-life escorts who try to a pro-life, we call it sidewalk counseling, where you try to get women to see that they have a choice and to say like, hey, do you know that there are organizations that'll temporarily, they'll take over the guardianship of your baby until you feel financially, emotionally ready. There are people who will help you adopt, that will help you do full visitation. Like there's so many options you have. The pro-choice escorts would surround these women, about eight of them, all volunteers, screaming and yelling, la, 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 la. I mean, they would say nonsense just so they, they couldn't you hear. hear the choices. So is that is that choice? Is that pro-choice? No, that's pro-abortion. They go into there. They start laughing and joking. They flip us off. They do all sorts of stuff. Then they go back to the parking lot, and they wait for the next one, the next uh, sad victim. And let me tell you, those women don't have choices. From the, I've only seen one woman who was uh, not weeping or sad 
or grieving already, walking in, and shoved by typically a mom or a dad, sometimes a boyfriend or husband, into that building. Okay, I have seen dozens of women go and get uh, into the abortion facility, the abortion mill. But here's the deal. We have pro-life people on the other side where they because they don't come out the front door they go out the back door there are no pro-choice people at the back door supporting them on but the back we're door. there with project rachel pamphlets mm-hmm. like hey you know there is healing there is healing we can help right it's free we can help so donate to project rachel donate to these things we also got jerome's hope yeah jerome's hope and blessed beginnings pregnancy and parenting life center um, essentially they offer counseling support to parents who have received difficult diagnoses yeah. uh, during the pregnancy or, or after the pregnancy things like um, developmental disabilities that type of thing uh, because that that's a leading that's one of the conversations you know you get the diagnosis that this kid your new baby is going to have a lifelong um, you know developmental illness yeah um and that's a difficult decision for a mother and 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 there are resources for for them jerome's hope and blessed beginnings are are two places but there are many more lifehouse all this stuff uh houston coalition for life Mm -hmm. uh they have saved five thousand babies from being uh killed in the planned parenthood abortion clinic um the biggest abortion clinic in the world uh right here biggest planned parenthood one right here in houston um because our own deacon deacon mike mims god rest his soul um and if you ever go to Deacon Baldy's, uh, right next to Deacon Baldy's bar is Imagimotive, where they do all this like custom car work. Well, they used to wrap cars and stuff like that and do this custom work on um, uh, different things. So they, they, yeah, whatever. They do all this custom stuff. And he bought a bus, drove it down, and outfitted it to be a portable clinic ultrasound thing. And women were free to go there and get a, an, an ultrasound so they could see their baby. And make a rational choice, right? If you're pro-choice, why aren't you giving these women a choice? All the why aren't you letting them understand? Like, part of a choice is education. And if you keep lying that this is just a clump of tissue, this, you're just evacuating some cells. Like, no. Look at this baby. He's already sucking his thumb. He has a heartbeat. He has brain waves. He has fingerprints. Like, here's the deal. So you need the information to choose. Well, seven or 5,000 women have, of their own free will, received this for free because of the Houston Coalition for Life. And then walked away from an abortion. That's amazing. That's amazing. So uh, I have a little uh, love for them in my heart. I'm plugging it. Praise God for them. You know, additionally, if you're a business owner, if you have some sway in the corporate world, uh, make it easy for women to to choose life uh, or fathers, you know, in your your organization, whether that's helping with hospital bills and your HR policies, maternity, paternity leave, um, affordable prenatal care or, or, you know, Child care after yeah. after a kid's born, let's make let's enshrine these in in our uh, businesses, make them attractive places to work, and and make it easier and easier for women to have uh, have babies rather than make the economic burden so un, unbearable. Yeah. Uh, not that a baby is only an eco- economic burden, but let's just but that let's make it easy. Yeah, Absolutely. let's make it. Absolutely. Let's support people. You know, when we annihilate family systems, when our culture, you know, I mean, my parents live you know twenty minutes away from here, but. How far away do your parents live, Nate? 12 hours, yeah. 14 hours. Yeah, so we're not necessarily all in the same neighborhood, whereas in the past, um, uh, Jennifer Fulweiler talks about this. Like, women were in the home, but they were never alone with children all day, like they have been in, in the 20th century. Like, women had their sisters. Women had their parents. Women were surrounded in their villages with their family. And now we're not. And that isolation adds to the stress, so that's what the church needs to be. 
right? The church is always understood as the household. You know, it's always family language. We're the household of God, mm-hmm. right? So we need to be that for these people. And I got to tell you, St. Anthony's parishioners are. We just need to do more. We just, we always can do more. So when this decision came down, the first thing my wife did before I got out of bed one morning, uh, she had gone, I slept in one day, slept until seven. One day. One, the one day I sleep until seven. No, my wife did this heroic thing. She just came upstairs. She goes, hey, just to let you know, your bank account's going to be a lot shorter every week or a lot smaller every week. And I was like, what? And she's like, I identified three of the most important um, things that bear onto our life that we need to support mothers in these crisis pregnancies. So um, she already has it. She's like, don't even ask uh, <laughs> or don't don't even worry about it. I set up automatic payments, 25 bucks. It's just going to go every week or whatever. And we also fund an orphanage in the Philippines um, because friends of ours sit on the board and stuff. And um, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing when you can really help people. I don't know if you know this, but the Honduras Mission um, does their dental work when we send dentists down at this place um, called uh, – Oh, gosh, I don't know how to say it. Finca del el Los Niños. Farm of the Child. It is a place where parents who can't raise kids drop their kids off. Wow. And it's not necessarily for orphans. Some are orphans, but the majority are like dad's in jail, mom's alone. So mom can't do this. But mom is always allowed to come. And a lot of Notre Dame students are there, and they volunteer there and do medical stuff and do teaching stuff. So our Honduras mission goes there helps them i was there with deacon mike mims it was a beautiful experience so you understand we are entirely pro-family pro-woman pro-child pro-life yeah so folks if you're wondering how to help and you don't know how to get involved volunteer do what mike's just done uh economically make an impact you know find identify these organizations i know this community um has resources so let's let's make an economic impact with our resources and and uh, you know identify these organizations a lot of ceos are coming out saying hey guess what if your state cancels abortion we will fly you to a post but my buddy of mine works for a global uh, consumer products industry and it's like okay let's hear from the other ceos let's hear it let's hear it like hey we are gonna support mothers that, and give them better stuff, natal yeah, health yeah. care <laughs> we'll see if the ceos speak out but i mean it's cheaper for a ceo to fund someone's abortion it than it is to fund and, their maternity. oh wow wow nate it's an economic yeah. decision they're making not a not some like wholesome like oh we want you to be cared for yeah if they wanted you to be cared for they'd offer maternity they'd offer child care they'd, they'd keep you as an we don't employee. want you to disappear for three months yeah, we'd a, rather have we you. see you as an asset and we want you to not be a mother but an asset yeah. so what i remind people every time i did pro-life sidewalk counseling we were there after the abortion but the doctors had gone home because the checks cashed Finally, the I, we didn't mention this, but continue to pray for this cause. We we absolutely yeah. just because uh, Roe v. Wade is overturned does not mean our work is over, and and a big part of that work is prayer. So uh, please pray that hearts and minds be changed, um, and that this can be a culture of life uh, as it as it as it once was. I don't know if, if we've ever really been a culture of life, but. Um, Let's let's pursue that goal uh, with single-minded determination. Mike, anything else? Yeah, I will. Uh, let, let me somewhat correct what I said earlier. The trigger laws in Texas have a 30-day uh, effect, right? So it's like 30 days after Roe v. Wade is overturned, then it goes into effect. And um, it's, it's pretty powerful that the Texas legislature and Governor Greg Abbott passed this law. Um, and so what we want to do is we want to reinforce for all people of goodwill to help pregnant mothers help their families, help their children in need with adoption and foster care. If the Lord has put on your heart to, uh, to take in children who, um, who honestly their parents couldn't take care of them, 
that's where we step up because in the early church, the time of the early church, we know that the Roman legal system allowed mothers and fathers to commit infanticide as well as an abortion. You could kill the life of the baby in the womb or out of the womb, and they did it via exposure. Either they would throw them in a river or they would leave them in, a, in woods because um, they believed the fates, the three demon goddesses, would kill anyone who – or would ruin the lives and haunt everyone who spilled the blood of innocence. So they knew they were innocent, So, but they didn't want the kid for whatever reason. Totally allowed by law, right? And until there's this group of people who followed uh, a Galilean named Jesus. And what they began doing was they would go into the woods every day and they would take the children who were left out to die by exposure and they raised them. They adopted them. Uh, Stanley Hauerwas, who taught at Duke, um, he was a Methodist, brilliant moral thinker. When he was brought before the uh, Senate in a hearing on abortion, um, they said, why, wh- what is your argument for why Christians you know, should oppose abortion. And he looked at the legislature and he goes, it's simple. Christians don't kill their children. And that might sound flippant or come on, but like that was the ethos. Like not only our children, but then we need to go out and support those who feel so distressed or whatever or pressured that no one's children because charity wins. Charity in our speech, charity in our actions, charity with our money, right? That's what we want from top to bottom, left to right. Abortion ends because we care about everyone involved. Amen. All right, Mike. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for Folks, thanks for listening. Continue to pray. Continue to praise God for uh, the reversal of uh, Roe v. Wade. And, and hey, let's get to work. Let's get to work. All right. See you guys.